Young Man to Crunch Time Plays. You can find me on Twitter at Shotgun726. And you can find this show anywhere on your favorite podcast and outlet. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher. Just wherever you get your podcasts, make sure to subscribe and, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Our very first episode of Crunch Time Plays. Well, I guess you could say our first episode did release release a trailer, which, by the way, if you haven't listened to the trailer, I would highly recommend you doing so. That way you know um, what we're about and what we'll be covering here on Crunch Time Plays. We've got a great show lined up. In just a few moments, you'll hear my interview with Nathan King, beat writer for 247 Sports, AuburnUndercover.com. We talk the Everything Auburn. We talked the football head co- head coaching search. We talked about Brian Harson's eventual hiring, his new coaching staff, what their recruiting plan looks like, with especially with Gunnar Stockton, with Mike Bobo coming on board to be the offensive coordinator. And we even got into a little Auburn basketball and how good he thinks Sharif Cooper can be uh, once he gets a few more games under his belt. I think he could be a, a lottery pick top five NBA draft pick, all of that and more with Nathan right after this. You're listening to Crunch Time Plays. And we are joined now by Nathan King, beat writer from 247 Sports of AuburnUndercover.com. You find him on Twitter at, at by Nathan King. So we're pleased to be joined by Nathan now. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Ben. I'm doing good. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Just wanted to talk about um, – just want to talk about the coaching search first. Uh, how how wild was it covering it? I know it was a lot. I know it was a lot. It was pretty a whirlwind for us followers uh, that aren't on the the Auburn beat. But just how was it from from your standpoint? Yeah, I mean it 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 kind of it kind of threw us all for a loop when when Brian Harson became the name on the last day, which I think that kind of illustrates how the whole search went. The fact that. I, mean, I, I think we all maybe should have suspected it was going to be somebody just completely out of the blue. Um, just because, I mean, it seemed like it was going to be Billy Napier toward the end. Um, and then he ended up not taking the job. You, you got to think he's, he's waiting out for whenever Nick Saban's going to retire. Um, but I mean, Kevin Steele was such a huge front runner at the beginning, but I really do think they, they made a good choice. Um, Harson was in their top three from the beginning, athletic director, Alan green. Um, you know, he, he was one of the top guys he wanted. There might've been a couple guys ahead of him. Um, but you, you know, in a head coaching search, getting your second or third guy is pretty good in my opinion. Um, I think they have a good idea of what he wants to do in terms of terms of a vision for the program. And I think just everything he did at Boise state, not just the wins and losses, but just kind of the way he went about managing a program. They thought, okay, let's get this guy some sec talent um, and let's get him a good staff and see what happens. So um, I thought it was, I thought it was a pretty decent hire. And then uh, the staff he's put together so far, he's, he's almost done with it. And it's been a, it's been an a staff for me. I, I you know, B plus or a something like that. Um, Cause he's done a pretty good job so far. Yeah. I wanted to talk about the staff real quick. I know, um, 
he goes out and uh, gets Mike Bobo and, and Will Friend from, from South Carolina. And then he also, a couple of days ago, you know, gets Tracy Rocker from South Carolina to come in. And of course, Rocker with the history played at Auburn. He was part of the coaching staff of the 2010 national championship team. Just, just your thoughts on, um, Brian Harson's ability to be able to go out and get those guys uh, from South Carolina. And then just what that says about what kind of money and resources the administration's given to Harson for his first SEC head coaching opportunity. Yeah. The biggest thing is that, look, he's not being hamstrung at all. Like a lot of people thought might be the case with this coaching hire. They thought, okay, there's going to be some stipulations because that was being thrown around during the coaching search that whoever takes this job is going to be told who he has to hire. Um, clearly that's not the case because Hudson, he kind of has this vision for how he wanted the staff to go. He wanted it to be a blend of his guys from Boise state because he, he they know the culture. Um, they've been working with him for a while. He wanted it to be some of his guys from Boise, but then, I mean, he admitted it himself. He doesn't know the sec very well. And so who does he go out and get? He gets a guy, Mike Bobo, who's been one of the sec's most experienced coordinators. He gets a guy in will friend, um, who's been recruiting some of the SEC's best offensive linemen. And then, I mean, it's it's interesting, depending on what they do, if they keep Travis Williams um, in one of the final two spots, he could have more Auburn alums on his coaching staff than Gus Malzahn did. Um, you know, and he didn't know anything about Auburn. He's not an Auburn guy, hasn't been around here. Um, and so getting a guy like Tracy Rocker, bringing back Cadillac Williams, um, getting Zach Etheridge from Houston to be the cornerbacks coach, obviously a former Auburn player. You can just kind of see what his plan was. Um, you can see that he wanted to blend his Boise guys with SEC guys and with Auburn guys. And so I'm really intrigued to see what happens with these last two hires. They've been they've been drawn out for so long. Every Everything else, I think, happened in about the span of six days. So we got most, I think we got six of the hires in six days. And then Rocker was a couple of days ago. And now we've just been waiting and waiting um, on these last two. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. I do think Rocker, one thing I want to say about Tracy Rocker for D-line coach, he, he, people were kind of, that was the only one that was sort of getting a little bit of blowback. I think people were kind of questioning a little bit. Um, I think when you're talking about what Derek Mason wants to do on the defense, he wants to run that three, four, um, make your defensive lineman be responsible for, for double gaps. Um, and you're bringing in one of the best two gap defensive linemen to play in the SEC recently. And one of the best ones to ever play at Auburn. Um, and so, you know, people have got to realize this is this on both offense and defense, it's going to be some different looks for Auburn next season. So some of their staff changes, some of their personnel decisions are going to be based on that. But so far, like I said before, um, pretty good hire, pretty good hire so far. I think uh, his staff has been put together pretty well, and he, he's got a chance to make this an A-plus staff, um, depending on what he does with these last couple openings. So I want to talk about those real quick. Um, obviously, he hadn't hired a, a wide receivers coach yet or a, or probably an outside linebackers coach. You know, just, What are you hearing as far as the last couple hires and, and who those candidates may be? Yeah, the thing is that the, the why people are kind of holding on to hope for Travis Williams to come back because I mean I haven't talked to an Auburn fan yet that doesn't want him back on the staff. Um, I mean that's the thing why people are holding on for so much hope for him because you haven't really seen that many other names um, come about. Now that could be a good thing. That could mean the offer is on the table for T. Will to take that spot and he just hasn't decided what to do yet. Um, or it could mean okay he hasn't taken it and now they're having to extend the search a little longer looking for one final guy. Um, for wide receivers coach, it's, it's becoming pretty clear. Cody Burns isn't really, um, you know, he, he isn't really somebody who's going to be retained like Cadillac Williams was, uh, Daryl Wyatt, the guy from UCF, he was the guy I was hearing the most about early on. 
Um, and apparently, according to a report from the Orlando Sentinel, uh, he he's cleared out his office. He's gone at UCF, but that was almost a week ago at this point, and he has yet to come to Auburn. So that was kind of interesting. Um, you know, you you would think that if that was to come to Auburn, he would already be here. Um, Byron McClendon from Oregon is is another guy that a lot of people are really high on. He would give you the recruiting ties in South Florida, which is what this coaching staff is, has kind of lacked so far. I think they're going to need somebody to get in and tie into Florida. Um, and then a couple other interesting names. Da- uh, Damian Craig, the former Auburn quarterback, is now Texas A&M's wide receivers coach. He's still in the mix. Um, and then T. Martin, the former Tennessee quarterback, who is right now um, – their wide receivers coach uh, is still in the mix as well. So I think, again, they've, they've got a lot of good names on the table here, uh, especially at receivers coach again, outside linebackers kind of is, is thin right now, but especially at receivers coach, any one of those guys um, would be good. I think McClendon is the one people mostly want. Um, I think Wyatt would be really good. If you've watched UCF play that they've, they've got great receivers. Um, so any, any number of those guys would be really good. If Harson just doesn't completely drop the ball here, I think they'll have a really strong closeout to the staff. Yeah, I want to ask you about Brian McClendon real quick. I mean, obviously he was with um, part of Will Muschamp's staff at South Carolina, um, promoted offensive coordinator after the the 2018 Outback Bowl, and the offense just kind of sputtered a little bit. And he went to he ended up out in Eugene with with Mario Cristobal. Just your thoughts on um, Brian McClendon as a coach and and as a recruiter? I know. A lot of people in South Carolina think he missed on a lot of guys. Just talk about his kind of recruit recruiting paralysis and what Brian Harson sees in that. Yeah, again, the recruiting just just your footprint is big. Not necessarily, you know, the guys you've won on or, or lost on, but also Mike Bobo, kind of the tie-in with him, um, sort of being a guy that he knows from McClendon being back during his time at Georgia. Um, and again, it's it, it's it's come down to Harson looking at guys and sort of having them sharing the same vision because I don't think necessarily everyone was super high on Mike Bobo before he got hired at Auburn. Now people have been talking themselves into it, myself included. I've talked myself into it a little bit more. Um, people weren't really super high on that. If you were just looking at a giant pool of offensive coordinator candidates and saying, okay, take whichever one you want. Not a lot of people would say Mike Bobo, but when you have a guy that fits the kind of offensive scheme that Harson wants, he fits kind of the, the multiple slash spread with everything that Harson is trying to do. Um, then it starts to make a little bit more sense. And so with McClendon, you might be finding yourself in the same kind of scenario where if he is on the same page as Bobo in terms of what he wants to do in recruiting, what he wants to do with the receiver group, um, that might be a little bit more important for a guy to kind of share the same philosophies than it is to go out and make, you know, the splashiest possible receiver hire that you can make. Yeah, let's talk about continuity within. I know the offensive staff, you've got Mike Bobo, offensive coordinator, and um, the guy that he's been with for a long time, the offensive line coach, and Will Friend. Just talk about how how important is, is continuity within, you know, an offensive or defensive staff. Yeah, I think, I mean, you've seen over the past few seasons that um, whatever Gus Malzahn was deciding to do based on the season, uh, I think it really did hurt Auburn's offense. You know, they're changing coordinators every year. And not only that, he was changing what he wanted to do in terms of being a play caller. You know, one year he hangs up the clipboard and says, I'm I'm done with that. I'm just going to kind of be an overseer. And the next year he takes it back. Um, and it hurt Auburn's offense. It hurt him in the season and it also hurt him in the long run. And so that, yeah, I completely agree. That's That's really big 
to have a staff, you know, and, and right now, you know, you've just got the hires, you know, we haven't necessarily seen what's going to happen in recruiting, what's going to happen on the field, but it looks like with this staff, you've got a lot of guys on the same page. Um, again, I go back to Bobo and Harson kind of being the one that I'm looking at the most of, okay, you've got these guys that kind of share the same ideals for what an offense looks like. And so that's the hope is that right now, you know, for a guy like Bo Nix and the the contributors on this offense, look, I mean, this is going to be his third offensive coordinator in three years. You're hoping for these guys moving forward. Bobo is still going to be the quarterback's coach in 2022. He's still going to be the quarterback's coach in 2023 and offensive coordinator. Um, you know, it's for some schools, it's healthy to turn over your staff. I mean, Alabama turns over almost its entire staff every year, but that's because they're all so good. Um, in Auburn's situation, especially on offense, I think you want to see the continuity because they've turned over a bunch of coordinators. They've turned over a bunch of offensive line coaches in the past few years. And the offense as a whole, the offensive line, has, I think has kind of struggled because of it because a lot of people aren't on the same page. So um, if they can get around to the 2021 season and we start seeing what they're doing on the field and everybody's on the same page, I think that's going to be really big for the success of the offense. How how fast do you think how how quick is this rebuild? I mean, I know Auburn Auburn has a lot of talented players. They have Bo Nix coming back, have a lot of offensive players coming back, losing some on defense. I know uh, Christian Tuck withdrew his name from the portal today. Do you anticipate any uh, attrition within the within the the roster, or do you think Auburn's pretty successful? Um, not even not only leading into this year, but how Harson wants to turn it around in the next few years. Yeah, that's the interesting part is because you looked at this Auburn roster over the past few years under Gus, and it seemed like they were built to win in 2021. Bo Nix is a third-year quarterback. Um, the defense returns a good bit of players and kind of those guys that were young four-stars in the linebacking core and on the D-line, they're a year or more experienced. And so you're like, okay, maybe this is the Tank Bigsby, SC freshman of the year. He'll be back. Um, so you're like, okay, they're built to win that year. Now you kind of... I guess reset that thinking a little bit because you don't want to put expectations too high for a first year head coach. That was, that was so much of Gus's problem. And it wasn't even his fault is that especially in the sec West where things are just, you know, murderers row on your schedule every year, you should have a one or two year grace period where you might not look so hot, you know, as long as things are going the right way and you feel like you're implementing things the way you want to, that's fine. But in terms of wins and losses, you might not look so hot. Well, Gus's first season went to the national championship and turned around a three and nine team. And so Harson now, I think as long as in his first couple years, he doesn't let the bottom completely fall out, which like you said, Auburn has a ton of talent. I saw a projection yesterday that somebody had them seventh in the West next year. And I'm like, I just don't, I just think they're just a lot more. I think they win five or six games on talent alone, just because they've got so many great players um, in terms of, you know, getting a double digit wins and competing for conference championships, which is what Harson wants to do. That's what every new coaching hire wants to do. Um, you know, maybe two or three years, maybe, maybe in 2022, 2023, you know, maybe Demetrius Davis is your quarterback of the future or Gunnar Stockton, the, the South Carolina commit who might come over now, follow Mike Bobo. You've got your quarterback of the future. Your staff has been in place. You're recruiting how you want. Um, but I, I don't think this is going to be a situation like a lot of places where you're going to, you know, just expect three or four wins the first couple of years. Um, like you said, Auburn's got a lot of talent and I'd be, I'd be completely shocked if they missed a bowl game because of this coaching hire. Um, but I, I do think, yeah, you gotta, you gotta be patient, um, especially in the SC West. And I would say probably something like 2023 is his, his clock starts ticking a little bit. It's like, all right, let's start, uh, let's start fulfilling some of those championship promises that you uh, talked about when you were hired.
Speaking of quarterbacks, I want to ask you about Bo Nix. Um, I know his first year he throws the game-winning touchdown pass to Seth Williams in Arlington against Oregon. And and last year under Chad Morris, he kind of struggled a little bit. It seemed like he digressed a little bit as a quarterback. Just talk about what you think Mike Bobo can do with Bo Nix here in 2021. Yeah, well, that's that's one of the promising things about getting Bobo in here. And that's kind of something that I myself have, have talked myself into it. Um, and that's because he is such a quarterback guru. And he's, you know, had the ability to train quarterbacks in the past. Now, pretty much every offensive coordinator these days is going to be called that. I mean, Chad Morris came in and all we heard about was, oh, he groomed Deshaun Watson, you know, at SMU, he had really prolific passers. Um, So, I mean, the offseason talk is always going to be that of optimism talking about how great it's going to be for the development of the players. I do think, though, I mean, it it was a combination of a lot of things for Bo Nix in 2020. Number one, the offensive line, not having the same guys in front of you can't be very easy. Um, granted, that offensive line did a lot of good things last year. But then by the end of the season, it was only two of the five starters from the beginning of the year. So it's like, I mean, you can't really expect much. I do think, again, on the flip side, Bonix probably escaped the pocket a little too often. So, you know, you can kind of have it both ways. Chad Morris, I don't think, was perfect in his coaching with Bo Nix. But then again, on the other side, I don't know if Bo Nix exactly took some of that coaching um, and used it the right way. So for Mike Bobo, kind of the challenge is going to be, let's get Bo Nix consistent. Let's work on the fundamentals. I think a lot of people were kind of frustrated maybe with his footwork, because if you can get him on solid ground, everyone in the SEC and everyone across college football has seen it over the past few seasons. I mean, he makes some just spectacular throws. I mean, some of the throws he's able to make, some of the things he's able to do in games, um, phenomenal, phenomenal athlete who's just got a golden arm sometimes. But then uh, like two plays later, he'll just make a complete head-scratching interception. So it's get this guy on solid ground, make it consistent. I do think with Tank Bigsby coming back and they should have a pretty good offensive line next year, I do think all of that bodes really, really well for Bo Nix. I've always held the opinion that he's a really high profile passer who, who could be an all SEC player by the time he's done. I still am going to stick to that. And I, I think he can definitely get there. Um, but like you said, I mean, the coaching has got to be good because the clock is kind of ticking for him and he's going to have some good quarterbacks coming in behind him that are going to push him for some playing. I mean, I don't think the starting job for him next year is, I mean, it might, it might be, you know, he's going to have it just kind of benefit of the doubt, but I don't think it's necessarily a given um, because Demetrius Davis definitely looks like a really, really good quarterback who's going to push him for some of those first team reps. Yeah, you mentioned 2022. Just wanted to, to get your thoughts about Gunnar Stockton. I know um, he's real, real tight. Their family's real tight with the Bobos, Mike Bobo, George Bobo. But he's also really tight with Connor Shaw at South Carolina and his brother and Shaw's brother, Jay Bo Shaw's the the head coach at Raven County. What are you what are you hearing as far as uh, Gunnar Stockton decommitting from South Carolina and the the chances that Auburn has with him? And what is there a real good chance do you think that he'll follow Mike Bobo to Auburn? I mean, all the all of our recruiting guys seem to think so. If you I mean, you follow the crystal balls ever since he uh, ever since he decommitted, and um, you know, you, it was kind of just a matter of time ever since Mike Bobo left. You know, you one you do wonder about his relationship with Connor Shaw, but I I, I think you know you decommit from South Carolina to kind of continue to weigh your options. Obviously, he could go back to South Carolina, but it just feels to me like all of this is too much of a coincidence. Um, and you look at that quarterback position, 2022, you know, you want a quarterback every class. Um, 
they are going to put so much emphasis into getting him. I mean, he's just going to be a huge, huge priority now. And he's a guy that not only, you know, are you going to put a lot of emphasis on getting him, but he's a guy that if you get him on board in 2022, he can be your Demetrius Davis and he can be your Bo Nix in terms of a recruiter in that class. So they are not just thinking about, okay, we hope he's on board at the very, you know, when it's all said and done, they want him on board sooner rather than later so that he can start recruiting and he can start telling people, Hey, you know, come join the movement. I'm going to be the quarterback. Things are going to be great. Um, I mean, right now, just, you know, plain and simple. I don't, I don't see a reason why you wouldn't think he's not coming to Auburn. I, I just, you know, with everything with Mike Bobo and just the timing of all of it and how much of a focus they're going to put on him. Um, I don't see why he wouldn't come there and, and eventually be part of their 2022 class. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, I think it's going to take too long for him to try to develop a relationship with Shane Beamer and, and new offensive coordinator, Marcus Satterfield. Just think he'll want to make a decision a little bit before that, especially since you can't really visit anywhere right now with the, with all the restrictions and recruiting from the NCAA right now, I just think it, just think it, the stars are aligned for Auburn um, as far as that goes. Yeah, I agree. I, I think again, like you said, the timing of the situation, that is a good point about not being able to visit that prior relationship with Bobo. Again, like you said that he has it with Shaw, but you're talking about an offensive coordinator and a guy who's going to run this offense now. And it's going to be, you know, again, he agrees with Harson so much that they're, they're kind of going to be working on this thing together. Harson's going to put a lot of effort into getting him. I just think when you've got a guy like that, um, that the staff is going to prioritize so much, it'll be hard for him to go back. I would be shocked if he didn't end up at Auburn. How big of a deal is retaining Cadillac Williams in terms of, of tank Bigsby? I know those two are pretty close. Do you think, do you think Bigsby would have transferred if, if Cadillac Williams wasn't retained and just talk about how big of a deal, um, Cadillac Williams and how he fits in into Mike Bobo's offensive scheme. Yeah. The big thing for Cadillac that people need to realize is that Harson, I mean, they were looking at plenty of other running backs coaches and they came at the end and came to a decision that look, we know Cadillac doesn't have a lot of experience before Auburn, um, but they like what he's done so far. He's a great recruiter. And like you said, I mean, it's no small thing. I understand the people saying, okay, you shouldn't make a decision for one player. I get that, but you have to understand that these players have already, I mean, they're already being stripped of their head coach they committed to. It's going to, it's, it's a hard ask to have both your head coach that you committed to and your position coach who you're closer to not be there anymore. Um, and a lot of people want to just say, you know, you know, transfers, quitting, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, it, it'd be a really difficult ask to work, to, you know, work under a brand new head coach and a brand new position coach. So I, I do think, that was big for Tank Bigsby's future that they're, they're tied at the hip. I mean, he was a huge reason why Auburn was able to land Tank Bigsby. I'm, I'm not exactly sure um, what he would have done if, if Cadillac wouldn't have been there. I can't say I would, I know that he would be gone automatically, but again, I mean, Cadillac, I think is really big for the future of this team right now because you can sort of ride him out with Tank. You know, you can sort of say, I, I, I don't really think there's a way you can coach Tank Bigsby wrong. I mean, he's just such a phenomenal player already. I think he's going to be the best running back Auburn's had since Cadillac. Um, and so you can't really do any wrong with him. So why not? keep some continuity. Why not retain Cadillac? Let him keep recruiting. Let him have a good relationship with the players. The players love him. And then maybe when Tank's gone, you know, maybe the room falls off or something and Harson can be like, okay, I'll go get another guy. But for right now, um, that move made a lot of sense to me, but it's not like he was just alone. It's not like Harson wasn't looking at guys like Des Kitchings from South Carolina and, and Del McGee from Georgia. 
they were being considered by Auburn and Harson ultimately circled back and, and decided that Cadillac was the best guy moving forward. Yeah, switching over to the defensive side of the ball, I'm just just curious about the defensive coordinator spot. I know uh, he hired Derek Mason, and uh, just just kind of talk about how that search went and and what ultimately made Harson land on Derek Mason. Yeah, Mason was a guy that had a lot of different opportunities. Um, he's got a lot of connections in the NFL from his time there. He was talking about how, um, I mean, even like broadcasting, he was that was something he was considering. But ultimately, his goal is to become a head coach again. And he knows the SEC and he's seen Auburn from afar. And one of the difference makers for him was he was actually able to come in person. I mean, a lot of stuff is virtual, right? I mean, pretty much everything Auburn's done is virtual, but he was coming up from vacation with his family from Florida. And Harson said, hey, why don't you just come in, uh, get a COVID test? And if it's negative, just pop in the building and we'll talk. And he was able to do that. And that was kind of the, the deal breaker there that sort of locked him up for Auburn. Um, it's one of those guys that like, like Bobo, although Bobo was pretty close with Harson when they were both in the mountain West together. But um, a lot of these guys were people Harson was watching from afar and thought, I would love to have that guy on my coaching staff one day. It's not really going to work out at Boise state, but maybe, you know, you go somewhere like the sec. So, I mean, I think Derek Mason is, I'm a little bit higher, higher on that higher than I am about Mike Bobo, just because he was such a great defensive mind at Stanford. Um, and you're talking about a guy you we are talking before about guys like Cadillac and, you know, player, player connection. I mean, there is nobody more energetic or charismatic that all these Vanderbilt players just absolutely loved to play for. That was, that was not a problem of his at Vanderbilt was having guys, you know, give their, give their all for him. And Hey, he got three AP top 25 wins when he was there. I mean, it's not terrible. Um, but I do think this is kind of a good stepping stone for him. He wants to be a head coach again one day. And I think Auburn probably got one of the two or three best. I mean, Marcus Freeman at Cincinnati is great. There's probably another one. Zach Arnett at, at Mississippi State is great. But he was probably one of the three or four best defensive coordinators available on the market, and they were able to snag him. Yeah, I agree. I know um, I know Shane Beamer was was talking about hiring him. I know he was an option uh, at South Carolina. I think they they couldn't get some deals. Uh, they couldn't get it worked out in the contract. I think from what everything I've heard, Mason had a, a non-compete clause with the with the SEC East. And so they just couldn't get that deal worked out. So it was a lot easier for for Harson to get him to get him at Auburn. Going to his uh, scheme for a second, do you think I don't know where you stand on this, but do you think after coaching at uh, such high academic schools like Stanford and Vanderbilt, do you think his scheme will be, how do you see his scheme being as far as being able to understand from, from guys that maybe aren't as, as academically, um, you know, is like academically inclined as some of those other guys. Do you, do you think it'll be hard for, for Auburn players to grasp his scheme at all? Um, I mean, probably not. It probably, I mean, he's been a lot of different places talking about the NFL as well. Um, I think that's probably just happenstance. I mean, obviously where he went, where he ended up at Stanford and Vanderbilt, I think he would have implemented the same schemes that he would have anywhere else. Um, I hadn't thought about that, 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 that he had been at Stanford and Vanderbilt. That's kind of um, interesting that he had been at such, you know, those, those tip top academic schools. Um, yeah. I mean, regardless of where he's been, he's had, he's had great players at, at multiple positions. Um, and I don't think Auburn just got, any sort of worry about that. They've had a lot of different defensive coaches in the past. Um, they hit a bit of a defensive lull for a while. Um, and then, it, and then it became the identity of the team under Kevin Steele. So 
you know, they've, they've done a lot of different stuff in the past and I, I, I don't necessarily <laughs> see that being a problem. I think uh, he's going to, you know, he's, he's a smart guy and he'll be able to adjust, you know, maybe some things don't work here at Auburn that worked in the NFL or worked at Vanderbilt. Um, he'll be able to adjust. Cause like I said, he, he's, he's trying to get the best success he can right now because his coaching career is not done. He, he thinks he can still be a head coach again one day. Yeah. I've heard a couple of people say that uh, that's the only reason why I asked, but I mean, I figured, you know, the reason, his defenses would not be successful is because it wouldn't be because of the player's understanding of the scheme. It would be that the offenses are just, you know, they're different and they're two and um, they could be, you know, just a, just overmatch for, for his defense. I don't think it has anything to do with understanding or any of that. Just going back to the, um, going back to the staff for a second before uh, then we'll wrap up football and I want to, talk a couple of basketball topics while I got you. I know you do a good job for Auburn basketball as well. But one of the last question I want to ask you about football is on the staff. What do you think the balance is as far as you got guys like Mike Bobo, Will Friend, you bring in Brian McClendon, those kind of guys. What do you, what do you think the balance is of trying to find for a first time SEC head coach like Brian Harson is? What are the what's the balance between trying to find a mixture of the staff who are kind of SEC lifers, if you will? I know some people call them, you know, SEC retreads that are that are towards the the back end of their career that have a lot of experience in the SEC. But what do you what do you think the balance is between those guys and then trying to find guys who maybe aren't as well known, but they're really hungry and looking for an opportunity. Yeah. I think anytime you're putting together a coaching staff, you've got to have that in mind. I mean, Gus Malzahn did it when he would bring guys over that, you know, for former grad assistants or guys like that, that he was sort of high on. I mean, when he was winning games, that was great. And guys like Cody Burns, you know, everybody thought, Oh yeah, that's so awesome. He played at Auburn. But then when Auburn's losing games, everyone's like, Oh, Cody Burns is not even a, wasn't even a wide receiver. And so, um, you know, it all depends on wins and losses. Ultimately, you know, that's how, that's how the staff is going to be measured that and recruiting. Um, again, I do think the staff is balanced very well. I don't think it depends a ton on these last two hires because as long as he doesn't do something completely out of the blue. Um, I mean, out of the blue isn't bad. Tracy Rocker was kind of out of the blue, but um, something that completely kind of just, just offsets the balance that they've already had. I think it's a good job of, of his Boise state guys, sec lifers, like you said, like a Mike Bobo. Um, and then some young up and coming guys who are still trying to make their way through the sec and trying to coach as many positions as possible, hoping to be head coaches one day, guys like that. So again, I, I mean, I'm pretty excited about the staff. I know that, you know, that a lot of that kind of goes with a first time head coach and, um, you know, there's always excitement, off season excitement. Um, you know, they, they win the off season staff championship, I guess, but, um, I do think he's done a really good job. And now the next thing is going to be recruiting. Um, and after that, I mean, we'll see how the players react. We'll see how the players react to the staff whenever we get around to spring practices. <laughs> Cool. Thanks for that on football. Just moving over to basketball now. Do you expect, I know um, Auburn's self-imposing the one-year postseason ban. Do you expect any other any other penalties from the, the NCAA? Have you heard anything about that for for Auburn? Or do you think the the self-imposed postseason ban will be, in, be sufficient for this year? I, I don't expect it. And the only reason I don't is because I haven't heard anything about it. And Auburn's not expecting it. Um, you know, when Bruce Pearl talked about this postseason ban, the things they did in the past, 
they were not trying to get out ahead of the NCAA. I mean, you're always trying to do that. Um, but all of a sudden, the Daniel Purifoy and Austin Wiley stuff happened. And Bruce Pearl was like, I don't want to pay for this in the future. Um, let me just go and sit these guys right now. They they are frustrated, obviously, that the investigation is still not complete, that they still don't have an answer. I think Bruce Pearl would have rather just a couple of years ago had the NCAA come out and, and tell them what's up and be like, okay, your program's banned from the postseason for two years or something like that. Um, instead, he's got to sit here and try to make these decisions for them. So, I, yeah, again, I have no reason to think otherwise. I think they've done everything that they can. I think that they've made all the right decisions. Obviously, they didn't make the right decisions beforehand. That's why we're even in this situation. But, um, boy, Auburn fans have got to hope so because if you – pack that on top of the Sharif Cooper situation. Uh, I mean, Auburn fans would be marching on the NCAA headquarters. I mean, they, they just are not their biggest fans right now. Um, so, I mean, I, I would think, I would think it, you know, it's, it's unfortunate what's happening with the postseason here. It's unfortunate for these players that they can't go. Um, but I would think this is the end of it. They've done everything they can. I can't, I really can't, I would just be surprised if the NCAA levied anything else um, just because of how extensive Bruce Pearl has already gotten out in front of this. How good can Sharif Cooper be? I know he's really, really dazzled his two games in. And uh, just just how good can he actually be once he gets I – mean, I know he's probably been in, in basketball shape for a while, but just how good do you think he can be getting into kind of game shape and starting to, you know, to scout and different things like that? Just how, how good can Sharif Cooper be? I mean, he can be an NBA lottery pick. I just, I don't see, and one of the best players in the SEC, I really don't see how you can sort of have this uh, perspective of what he's done so far and not just be blown away. Because I my, I mean, my expectations for him were really low at the start. I thought, okay, he's probably going to be the best player on the floor in most games. But like you said, still rusty, um, missed 72 days of practice. And a big thing with that too is, I mean, because he was able to practice on his own, you, know, you can go to a basketball court and do your own stuff, stay in basketball shape. But the chemistry with your teammates, you know, especially at the point guard position, not having that much practice time, that's the biggest thing. I mean, he knows where these guys are on every single possession. Um, a lot of that is a testament to his talent, but also a lot of it is, he said he was deep in that playbook. When he couldn't be at practice, he just had to go and study the film on his own and um, get into it by himself. So um, knowing Sharif Cooper and, and knowing, <laughs> knowing Sharif Cooper's family and um, just kind of knowing the kind of guy that he is, this is something that really dug at him and he was really excited to get back and, and sort of make everybody pay that sort of doubted him or, you know, people that kept him out of this situation. I have been, I mean, the Georgia game was more impressive to me than the Alabama game. I mean, his stats are better and everything, but just watching him, um, I mean, he'll score. That's fine. But his passing, I don't, Auburn hasn't had a guy pass like this. It'd be this kind of facilitator in a while because the stuff he does, he reminds me of like a prime Rajon Rondo with the Celtics. I mean, um, just his ability to, to get the ball to the right place and know where his teammates are at all time, all times. Um, I think he could probably, he'll probably be a draft pick if he comes out this year, you stay another season, you add a guy like Jabari Smith and Trey Alexander to a roster that is going to return most everybody. Um, why can't he be a top 10, top five pick? I mean, Isaac Okoro did it when nobody thought he would. Um, this guy could be the best point guard in the class at some point. I mean, he is that, that good so far. I, I've just been completely blown away by him. Yeah, you mentioned Isaac Okoro. I know whenever he got drafted, I know when the, the Cavaliers um, 
this is just a funny story, but I know when the Cavaliers got drafted or the Cavaliers drafted him, the ESPN had the the video of Bruce Pearl when they were they were interviewing him and he looked like he was, you know, standing out by some roadside ditch like some somewhere. And uh just I was chatting with a couple of buddies during the draft and I know they thought they thought that was funny too. And I, I know I did, but yeah, Stephen but. Pearl said they actually did have to stop. They thought they were gonna be back by then. Um, cause he went and saw Sharif's family that day, or excuse me, Isaac's family that day. And they thought they were going to be back by then. Um, but they weren't, and he had to have somewhere to do a, do a hit for ESPN. So they, Steven pulled over and they stopped on the side of the road and had to do it from the side of the road. Yeah. That was, that was pretty hilarious. That was one of the best parts of draft night for sure. Oh yeah. That was definitely one of the best parts for me too. That's, that's great stuff. Well, Nathan, I just can't thank you so much for, for being on today. I know. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And the first, the first guest on the crunch time plays podcast, Nathan King. So thank you so much, Nathan. And we'll look forward to catching up with you. Would you prepare real soon? All right. Appreciate it, Bennett. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you. Once again, you can follow Nathan at by Nathan King on Twitter, and you can continue to follow his work at uh, as the Auburn beat writer, two, four, seven sports, auburnundercover.com. As we close out this episode of Crunch Time Plays, I just want to thank Nathan again for his time and his support of the show. They've obviously been very busy over at AuburnUndercover.com with the head coaching search and then the hiring of Coach Brian Harson and following him as he makes his staff hires. And while also covering all the recruiting and all the prospects that Coach Harson and his new staff are offering uh, to be on the planes in 2021 and beyond. And all the guys over there at AuburnUndercover.com, they do it all with professionalism and class. And we're so, th- we're so thankful to now call Nathan a friend of the show. Did want to pass along a few notes. I know most of you have probably been the f- following the staff hires of Coach Harson. And since we interviewed Nathan, a few more hires have taken place for that staff. Uh, as we all know, the, the coaching moves and coaching hires and everything in the coaching world it moves really fast sometimes so we want to give you a a full rundown of brian harson's on the field uh, 10 assistants um obviously mike bobo is the offensive coordinator he brings his offensive line coach will friend they both come to the plains from from south carolina's they leave shane beamer behind in columbia to take big contracts on the plains And then, obviously, Cadillac Williams was retained by Coach Brian Harson. I know that was big for Tank Bigsby. I, I was one of the people, as we talked about it with Nathan, I was one of the people that believed that if Cadillac Williams was not retained, that there was a decent chance that Tank Bigsby, Tank Bigsby might not be back in the Auburn uniform next year. Uh, so I know he, I know he was very thankful to keep uh, Cadillac Williams. He hires Cornelius Williams to be the wide receivers coach. Hires him from Troy. Hires Jeff Schmetting from his staff at Boise State. He'll be the inside linebackers coach and defensive run game coordinator. And then Burt Watts, he hires him from Memphis. He'll be the special teams coordinator and outside linebackers coach. Zach Etheridge will be the cornerbacks coach. Nick Eason is the new defensive line coach for Auburn. Coach Harson just hired him from the Cincinnati Bengals. And so I know he was 
really thankful to get uh, Coach Eason from the NFL. Brad Bedell is the tight ends coach. Derek Mason is hired as the defensive coordinator, obviously the former head coach at Vanderbilt, and he's known for his great defenses. Jeff Pittman is the strength and conditioning coach on the Plains. And so that's the the rundown of Coach Harson's 10 uh, full-time assistants and – it's a great staff. It's it's a it's an A plus staff as we talked about it with Nathan. It's a great mix between the Boise State guys from Coach Arson and guys with a lot of SEC experience. Um, obviously, Tracy Rocker was a part of this staff um, from the outset. He also came over from South Carolina, left Shane Beamer behind in Columbia. And then he leaves Brian Harson behind. He takes a plane up to Philadelphia to be the new defensive line coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, that was kind of a shocker to me. I don't know why you would want to leave your alma mater and place that you've coached before um, to be the defensive line coach for the Eagles. Uh, maybe it had to do with with the responsibilities of being a defensive line coach and for Derek Mason, maybe he demands too much in recruiting or demands too much preparation or, or something like that. And, and Tracy Rocker just wanted out. And I know um, they certainly wish him the best and, and we wish him the best with the Philadelphia Eagles as well. And with that, that will do it for this episode of crunch time plays. Once again, you can follow us, uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. And we look forward to seeing you again next time. This is Crunch Time Plays.